Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we three doctors of physical therapy discuss the art and the science to the stuff that we're putting on our feet. But today we are joined by Dave Ames, who has a lot of his foot in a lot of different things and a lot of different uh, camps and a lot of experience. We're excited to have him. Mainly today, we're going to be talking about uh, run coaching from a couple different pr- perspectives. We're also going to talk about how run coaching and physical therapy uh, might mesh together for the runner. Where are they, where are they similar? Where are they divergent and a little bit different? Um, and how can they be working together as a part of your team? So, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. You got it, fellas. I'm surprised. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised I never met you guys in person yet. I mean, the social media world is, uh, you know, that's one thing. But it's good to talk. Good to hear real voices. Yeah, face oh, for sure. Even though it's screen to screen, the face to face thing through screens is nicer than just messages over email or messenger yep. or running shoe geeks or whatever it is. <laughs> so, but um, why don't why don't we start? Just give us a little bit of background and kind of the different areas of running. Maybe a little running history, maybe a little bit of run coach history in your your job there, and then a little bit maybe believe in the run and some other contributions you do there. Sure, sure. I mean, first of all, obviously, thank you guys for having me on. I mean, uh, these things are great. I think these are a huge wealth of knowledge for people. Um, you know, if you asked me about this two years ago, I mean, dude, I was I was lost in the whole technological side of things. I mean, you know, I had to up my game immediately in order to compete uh, just to stay in business as a coach nowadays, you know, and then COVID hit and all that. So um, these are great opportunities, obviously, for people to listen and learn. So, so thanks for Thanks for having me on. But um, yeah, I am Dave Ames. I'm the owner and founder of uh, Import Run Coaching. I am a private personal coach um, and I coach athletes all over the, the world now. I launched this business in 2016, um, frankly, because I got burnout and run specialty. Um, honestly, um, I started, I'm born and raised in central New York. Uh, Pretty historic cross-country area up there. Lots of good programs like Fayetteville Manlius, things like that, that we grew up against. And um, running's kind of instilled in your bloodstream from, from the minute growing up around there. Um, so I've always been actively involved in the sport. I've been coaching runners for 19 years. Uh, before I opened the business of Aim for Run Coaching, believe it or not, I was slinging shoes at Dick Sporting Goods in, in the mid, early to yeah. mid-2000s, um, uh-huh. selling uh, Air Monarchs. New Balance six, six Deuce Ones, um, <laughs> Copa Mundial by Adidas, you know, the soccer cleat. Oh, yeah. Um, picking uh, Crocs up at 930 on a Sunday night. One's a seven, one is a 13, and trying to match them together uh, miraculously. <laughs> um, retail, man. And, um, you know, luckily my interest in running allowed me to kind of get into kind of lead the footwear department a little bit better and work with the buyers at Dick's, which then kind of sparked the interest that, Oh, like he like really specializes in running. And so then I don't know if you guys remember or not, but Dick Sporting Goods opened a, a concept called true runner. Uh, I don't know, early 2010s or whatever. 
and we had all the massive funding from Dick's. So they went and I helped open up stores basically in Pittsburgh, St. Louis and Boston. So our job was not only to figure out what we had to carry and things like that. We had to literally do the marketing in the running communities. I mean, it was a tall task in St. Louis. You're trying to go up against big river running, which is obviously a, a, a quite the, quite the shop and, and they do a great job in Boston. You're trying to go up against marathon sports, which is a 30 billion or $30 million a year enterprise for God's sakes now. So, you know, trying to go up against Colin and things like that. And, we had the best gear and everything in, in the, in, in the country, believe it or not, uh, in the stores because of the buying power, but you know, runners are stubborn and some new cat comes into town and you know, they're just not going to shop there. And so that concept kind of started to fail. It was a lot of pressure. So then I just moved on basically to the wholesale side of things. And so my buddy, mm -hmm. Tommy Curran, uh, hired me at Newton running, uh, many, many years ago when the brand was hot. And I was slinging Newtons on the East Coast to, to running stores. Oh, wow. That worked out well until Newton didn't work out well. And um, I think we'll leave that for another day. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, they ran out of some cash and uh, I moved on to Skechers Performance. And so I got to work with the great Kurt Stockbridge in designing shoes. I'm still a wear tester, still talk to him literally every month now. Um, wow. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, wow. Oh. That's oh, cool. cool. Yeah. Um, um, so I worked with worked with him, managed the East Coast sales there. You know, for all I know, you guys were standing in an expo probably together with all of us at some point over the last bunch of years when I was working there. If you guys know like the famous John Shrupp or any of the any of the old cats from the sales days, I, that was yep, us at Skechers. Yep. Awesome. So King Shrupp, as I call him. So we were, uh, you know, we we had a great time there, and then eventually, you know, the brand. Um, you know, the S on the side of the shoe became a problem and it still kind of is, believe it or not, they make obviously phenomenal footwear, as you guys know. Um, but you know, you were driving eight hours so and you'd open up a new run, running shop, but you'd sell a half of a, you know, skew line. I mean, you'd, you know, you'd sell six, eight pairs. And then, you know, in coaching for 19 years, the athlete base started to basically just get bigger and bigger to the point that I figured, well, I'm actually probably spending 40% of my time, you know, working on run specialty sales and I'm spending 60% of my time actually still coaching. And so I realized, you know what, I'm living in Boston already. It's the running Mecca, in my opinion, of, of the entire world. Um, you're utilizing contacts. You've met so many people throughout the industry through the running event, TRE, and, and through expos and, and opening up stores that, you know, might as well strike while they are in tight. And, you know, I was lucky to start the business in 2016 in Boston which I think gave it a really good, you know, a really good, a good boost out of, out of the gate. So now I do this privately and, and full time mm -hmm. and um, running's booming. I mean, we're all lucky in this right now. I mean, you know, we wouldn't have this podcast here or this, this zoom thing, you know, if, if this sport wasn't solid right now. So um, mm -hmm. I'm just grateful, you know, and, and you asked me this question eight, eight months ago, 10 months ago, 12, I didn't even know if I was going to lose 50% of our athletes. I mean, right. COVID, right. I mean, right. we, we navigated it well and we're still hanging in there, I guess. So, right. Well, you know, so that's a cool journey to get to the full-time part of, of, of that job that you've, you know, you've been involved with the coaching nice. for so long, but um, a wealth of experience in different realms of the running community, which is I'm sure valuable. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think, it, you know, it opened up, like you were saying about believing the run instead, it opened up the opportunities. I mean, I worked with, 
as I call him, Professor Weinbaum. I worked with Sam at Road Trail Run for, for a couple of years. Great dude. I mean, you want to know anything about a shoe, he'll tell you. Um, yep. And uh, and that was great. And then, you know, I've known Thomas forever. I coached Thomas. I coached his wife, Meg, for a while. Um, Going to hang out with them in the woodlands in Texas next weekend. Thomas is going after a half marathon attempt and we'll be oh, cool. to support him and some other athletes. So that kind of brought me into that. And um, yeah, we're just, just loving it, uh, kicking at it, believing the run now. And, uh, you know, it's good to see everybody, Sam, you guys believe in the run, you know, some of the other reviewers out there now and just doing a great job. I mean, you know, it's good. It's good info you guys are putting out. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, know. it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a, a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of see what, it's, every, a lot of what it's a lot. Of, it's good to see everybody else elevating their game too. And watching how the whole Jamie always puts it in a good way. They're all kind of like brothers and sisters, like to elevate each other and bring this up together. And that's, what's it's really cool just to watch everybody, what they're doing, how they're doing it and, and, elevate each other's game so it's great and it's it's cool to watch this and now be part of it it's cool yeah so let's zero let's zero in a little bit on the on the run the run coaching side of things um there's a lot of different angles that i think we want to take tonight but let's let's start with um kind of your uh if we were to be addressing oh we didn't lose him okay good thought we lost him for a second (laughs) um but let, let's let's address kind of, you know, there's this booming in people who want to become run coaches or who are becoming run coaches. Um, if you were to speak kind of to, to that audience of people who are like, hey, I want to become a run coach and this is the direction I want to go. What do you what do you think it takes, you know, to become a good run coach um, and, and um, kind of what kind of training should you go through? What makes you think that you'd be cut out to be someone who can actually provide a really good service for somebody? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I get these questions a lot from people and, and first of all, I, I love it. If anybody reaches out and says, Hey Dave, I, I want to coach or, or can you help me understand, like you just said, what it, what it takes to, to even step foot into this game or, or anything like that. So, you know, props, if anybody's obviously anybody listening props to anybody who wants to get into this, but, you know, I think you need to realize from the get go that, I mean, this is not a hobby. This is not a part-time gig. Um, I don't care if you coach, um, you know, six athletes, or if you coach a vast majority all over the world, like I do, and some of my other colleagues in this industry do, um, you know, it's a massive time commitment. And, um, you know, number one, do I have the time to do it? Um, You know, your phone will be going off at 6am, it'll be going off at 5am, it'll be going off at 11pm. You know, I'm on the West Coast now, too. So having, you know, East Coast athletes, or like, you know, a bunch of athletes in Berlin, Germany, I'm nine hours behind already, but, but we make it happen. Um, and so I have to be, you know, flexible in my schedule in order to, in order to be able to do that. But, you know, I think a lot of people think certifications are everything, believe it or not. I mean, yeah, I have like some low level USATF and stuff from over the years. Um, but I'm self-taught. I was lucky enough to have a lot of good mentors. Uh, I had historic coaches, thank God in high school and college that, uh, that helped me through the process. And, I've read every running book known to man, whether I agree with it or I don't. Um, and I'm sure I've missed some obviously here and there. Um, but you know, a highlighter and a pad and a pen. And a lot of this is very, very self-taught. I mean, Jack, you know, Daniel's running formula. I don't really like the book a hundred percent, but like you got to read that thing about six times to understand it. I mean, it's not an easy book. I don't care if you've been running your whole life or, or you haven't. So you know, the certifications are fine, but at the end of the day, it's, 
can you physically coach? You know, can you take that athlete who's had a string of bad races and make sure that they don't completely lose their marbles over it? Or can you take that athlete who's had uh, six months of outstanding races and maybe the Strava flexing starting a little bit, or they're getting a little cocky on Instagram, or I hate to say it, but we all see it out there. And how do you kind of keep them back, you know, and and level? Um, Mm -hmm. But all of, all of this really comes into one key thing and that's, that's communication. Um, I would tell you that when a new athlete comes in to request my services and like right now, you know, we're doing very well with running booming. So we're getting a lot of interest and stuff, which I'm very grateful for, but in order to match these people up correctly, um, we need to be able to, one of the first things they always say coming in is that their previous experience with another coach is that their coach, that coach didn't care, or they had the most simplest question on a workout and it took that coach six hours to respond to them. Well, the workouts it's, it's over. I mean, you couldn't do anything about it. So communication is key. And I don't know if you've ever had a coach in your life or somebody you've talked running to and even running kind of gurus like all of us in this room right now. uh, We've always talked to somebody in running who's way over your head. You know, you don't even understand it. Or, you know, is your coach giving you workouts that you have to write all the way up your arm? (laughs) Does does that even work? I mean, I don't know. Um, Whereas you could also go to the track and run eight by 800 and have just a quality day and be off the track two hours earlier. So, you know, how do they communicate to you? And, and when you're physically on the track or in the middle of a run, have they broken down that workout or that run for you? So you can understand that in more layman's terms, because let's face it as running coaches, you're going to be dealing with the majority of people who are probably 330 hour, 330 marathoners plus, or at least when you start out. So you need to be able to adapt to that four and a half hour marathon. Nothing wrong with that by any means. They're great runners, but in order to make them 330, you have to be able to talk to them in a, in a language that you cannot talk to the 215 marathon. And mm-hmm. so it's just being adaptable, you know, during COVID right now, we had to be adaptable over the last year and a half, basically switching things to time trials, getting the athlete to realize that, you know what, they suck, but they really make you tougher. And when you do go back to race, you're going to be sharp and everybody else is going to be flat as a pancake because they haven't tested themselves. So, you know, there's a lot of things that if you want to get into this game, it's more just about communication and personality, I feel like, than it is about certifications and things like that. I mean, you do have to have a basic understanding of how to write training, which is, I think we're going to get into later about overtraining because coaches overtrain too. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's, I really think with the amount of knowledge and and wealth of knowledge that everyone has now and and opportunities to do things like this or listen to somebody else's podcast, um, there's enough info that people can tell you out there about how to get started, but it's really more about just, are you a communicator? Are you an educator? And do you, mm-hmm. do you yeah. love what you do? I mean, at the end that, of the day, cause this can get stale pretty quick too. Yeah. You know? That's so. really refreshing to hear Dave, because there's so Thanks. many coaches out there that I feel like programming in and of itself is hard. It's difficult. It's, it's very difficult to fine tune to each athlete that you have, but the, that's only one piece of the puzzle. And I'm happy that you brought up communication so much because that's, that's really where the value in all of this comes in. Cause anyone exactly. can give you the, the workouts. You can have the same workout from 10 different coaches and the athlete can respond to that same exact workout differently 10 times. And so much of it's dependent on, you know, whether or not you trust your coach, whether or not you can relate to your coach. Can you be honest with your coach? You know, 
all of those things. And I think that human aspect of coaching, that coach athlete relationship is just so important. And I, I'm just very, very happy to hear that that's not something that you have lost in this process. So yeah, thanks, man. huge major thanks. kudos to you. Yeah. Thank you. There's definitely feel like- certification that will help you with that communication, right? It's like mm-hmm. the ability that's a very, definitely a, something that comes through experience. And I don't know if everybody has that ability too to be able to really communicate. And you, I like that you mentioned, like, it's not just like, how am I doing the workouts? Like, how do you calm an athlete down? How do you keep them in a good headspace? Because we know how much psychologically, how much that can, that any psychological factor can impact someone and their performance quite a bit. So being able to guide someone, which is really a coach is much more than what's the workout. It's you are, it's, it's being a guide on a journey in many different facets, dealing with the personality, like dealing with how they react to things. It's a very, a good coach is a very hard thing to find. And so mad respect to you on that in terms of being able to like focus on that communication. Cause it is, it is Thanks. key. It's important. Thanks. I mean, yeah. I mean, sometimes you don't like, sometimes, you know, you don't want to do things like, like yesterday, I'll use an example. I mean, we had 20, 25 time trials alone for athletes yesterday. And so all the results came in yesterday. First of all, it's a Saturday, right? Like it'd be nice to not be working, but you know, coaches got to be there. So 25 time trials. And so I, every single one of them, their expectation by their one-on-one weekly call next week is to have in, I use the Jack Daniels V dot app to coach. Cause it's just so easy to organize mm-hmm. data and stuff. So there's a section in there for athlete comments. So by next week, I want the athlete comments all filled out for all 25 individuals on where they were at mentally during the race. How did they warm up? What was going through their head, all that. And then my job next week is to recap all 25 of these and teach them things they did well, help them with things they struggled at. You know, a long time ago, I don't know if I would have thought about doing that. You know, I mean, that's an extra step. Whereas you could just let them run and kind of figure it out and maybe say a few words about it. But, or can you really, really dive in and figure out what was going through their head? What was, what, what was their breathing like? What was their stride length? Right. You know, what was all that stuff like? And you're right. I mean, that's where the communication piece comes apart. It's extra work and it, you have to devote a lot of time to it. Um, mm-hmm. So, but if you had asked me that 10 years ago, no, I probably would have just let them run and congratulations. And, you know, we'll talk about yep. it, but. Right. Yeah. I feel like, um, something that I value in this that you said too, you know, you talked about for people who are thinking about re and run coaching, you got to be ready to have the time to commit to it. And then kind of at the end, you talked about communication and in the middle there, you kind of referenced to be, to become a really good coach. You can't just find your, your niche philosophy and just like run with it. You're, you were talking about this ability to, to listen to people who maybe have a philosophy that differs from what you think is right. 98% of it, but you can still take two. And I think in our profession as physical therapists, there are a lot of different areas of practice that um, like the, the full philosophy by a certain researcher doesn't come to fruition in clinical practice, but there are techniques from it or ideas from it that as a clinician, you should put in your tool belt to be able to help the patients that come in. And what I'm hearing from you is that ability to be a really good coach. If you're thinking about going into coaching you have to be able to look at all the different philosophies of coaching and workouts and et cetera, et cetera, and then package that within communicating to the person and not just, you know, throwing a, a program their way. But I think that if that, I, I just think that's a huge encouragement to people thinking of going into coaching. That sounds like a, something that could set you apart is something that if you can 
if you can take in lots of different philosophies and learn from them and figure out what pieces can, can mesh well. Um, and you might find that one of those might work for one runner and not another, I'm assuming at certain times. Um, but that's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly why, I mean, no disrespect to track clubs or anything, but you, you know, you throw 40 people on, on the track in your track club for a bunch of two hundreds, which in a marathon block are pretty mindless anyways. And you know, you three out of the 20, the, the workout scientifically, physiologically even adapts to the other 25, uh, you know, okay. Like you had a good time running some two hundreds, but did it really help? I mean, you know, so you just, you have to, you have to learn the runner and you have to, like you said, you have to adapt in and maybe one philosophy that you learned works on a few people, but that other runner doesn't respond to the Lydiard philosophies. You know, it only, it's, it responds more to the, to the Joe V Hill philosophies or, you know, Percy Cerruti, you want to go way back, you know, things like that. So, you know, you got to be able to fly on the dime, I guess you got to say, you know, right. This, this definitely, again, just to, to, to follow up on both what, what you said is that this, this concept transcends any individual profession or thing. It's like every, when you're in a service industry, working with people for any physiologic thing, every body is different and they will have different responses to different things. And a true master will be able to figure out not what's the best technique, but go, how can I match what this person needs? Right. And that, that comment, like, like that 98 versus 2% figuring out what, what, how do they work best is really key. Cause just like you said, that's the challenge with a lot of like coaching is like, you know, especially college high school level, you don't get this individualized approach. So it's not really surprising in those environments there can be a high injury risk, right? Cause you're getting training. That's not matching you and you're expected to survive, which can be even more difficult for some people to say at the division one level that where it's not only does the training match you, which doesn't matter. You got scholarship, you got to fight for. So it gets even more, which I'm and happy to see some more coaches are starting to talk, look at this differently, which yeah, it's more work. It's not easy to coach. This is a huge, this is a life investment, right? You'd be ready for this. So all, again, respect for you for what you do on that. Cause it takes a lot of work. Thanks. Thank you. So kind of transitioning here a little bit, kind of, we were just talking to people who want to become run coaches. Now for, if we're talking to people who are looking for a run coach, maybe it's their, maybe they just came into the running world and they decided, Hey, I want to run a 10 K. I want to run a half marathon. I want to run a marathon, but I don't want to do it alone. So I'm going to go try to find a coach. What would you tell those people? Like what advice would you have for them looking for, a coach, how do, how do they know if they're reputable? How do they know, you know, all the, all of those questions, obviously besides work with you, obviously. So, <laughs> but what, what would you say to them? No, it's, it, you know, it's, I said that I, I filmed something actually recently. I'm going to do probably an IG reels on this actually uh, oh, coming cool. up soon that um, scroll their website, their email list, any blogs they've done, any podcasts they've talked on social media, um, I hate to use those ex- as examples, but if you're reading something they write and you can relate to that, or you can visualize yourself as an athlete under their care, mm-hmm. then that's probably a good call that you want to, you want to give that person a call, right? If you read something that they wrote or said or something, and it makes you cringe, that doesn't mean it's not a perfect fit because sometimes you should go out of your, out of your boundaries a little bit too. Um, then maybe that's not somebody you want to call to set up an interview to see it, to see if they'll coach you, you know, for newer runners, it's funny. Like as I've progressed through the years, I don't take on necessarily newbie newbies as much anymore because there is a pretty good wealth of 
knowledge online and, and through podcasts and things and things like we're doing right now that a runner can get started, not to mention challenges and Strava and, and things like that, especially during the, during the winter time. Um, you know, uh, David's rocking the hat right now, you know, the believe in the run uh, grit challenge. <laughs> if you guys are in that believe in the run page on Facebook, I mean, the amount of new runners that did that challenge this year, mm-hmm. that was a, that got them out the door. You know, I don't yeah. know if they necessarily need the coaching, but as you get better as a runner and, and as you, as you begin to kind of maybe plateau and things like that, you know, you start to align your personality as a runner with, 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 with the coach that you potentially want to hire. So really it's kind of taking your personality and see if it matches up with, with, with the, the person you're, you're researching. And, you know, the best thing is ask questions, ask about the communication piece we just talked about, ask about their philosophies. You know, if they're a one-sided one-way coach, if he or she only believes in one style of training, to me, I see that as a red flag because maybe that style of training doesn't work with everybody. Um, you know, also ask them how invested in their, they are in their own running. And this is no disrespect to elites or sub elites, but if that elite runner is going to put in 35% of the time with the athletes he coaches, but the other 65% is going to be with his, his or her own training, are you really getting all that you're paying for? And I, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing anybody with that, but you can even tell from social media pages, you know, if they're, if they're physically a coach, but all they're talking about is their own running well, where's their actual coaching? Like, what have they done? What have they produced? Um, so, you know, that's, that's another thing to look for too. Um, look at the pricing and what you get for it. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of overpriced stuff out there, but maybe you're only getting to talk to your coach once per month and you're paying all this money. That's probably not right. So right, no, well, that's a big deal. I think you, you kind of, there's a question I didn't even ask. I think you answered the first question is, do I need a coach? Sure. And, and, and I think that that was a good point that you made where there's, there's a lot of resources for people. Maybe if you're just getting started, there's some ways to get started without needing the coach right away. And then once you find your running identity, you can kind of know where you'll line up with a coach there and kind of move forward. And, and I'll leave you with this too. I mean, uh, shop around, you don't have to make a decision. I mean, I even, you know, I'll have people who want to jump the gun almost sometimes. And, oh, I, I, I want to sign up, Dave. I want to sign up. And, but they haven't done any research. And you kind of start to sense that maybe they should just shop around a little bit and see what, what the other methods are. What are the, what are the other methodologies? What are the other, what's the other personalities I'm dealing with? Just to see that, you know, if I'm the first one you talk to, maybe there is somebody that, that, that you fit better with, you know, I and mean, we can't take on everybody. We have to turn down people that, that aren't yeah. in our programs. So. Yeah. Right. Cool. Well, so many. Well, this good- is the part that I'm excited. Oh, go ahead, David. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say there were just so many good things said in that last just five minutes right there. And I think one thing that's really refreshing to hear again is that just because someone is fast or accomplished as an athlete does not mean they're going to be a good coach. And maybe they know, quote unquote, what it's like to have been there or get there or whatever. But you have to look at them. And who are they as a person? Who are they as a coach? And I think that's perfect. Like, go look at their social media. Go look at all of those things. And if they are saying they are a coach, well, are they acting as a coach or are they acting as their own personal athlete? And so I think that's that's awesome that that was brought up because that's something I think a lot of people don't really think about. They just see that, well, this person was a Division One athlete, so therefore they're, they must know what they're talking about, you know, and that's not always the case. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
except for Ritz now, he, you know, he was extremely fast. And I'll tell you that that dude can coach and just keep your eyes on that whole on running team. Cause I idolized him growing up. We were only a couple of years apart. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was, I think he's doing some nice things. He, he is the, he is the example of big time elite runner, but can relate and bring it to the coaching side. Yeah. Um, so this is the part that I'm, I'm kind of excited to hear your thoughts on this, Dave. And um, we'll probably all, we can all speak into this. And um, it's kind of this, the question about what's the interplay now between uh, having a run coach and physical therapy, where do those intersect? Where do they diverge? Um, and then kind of asking you to, I think, addressing kind of that question in general, but also then talking to run coaches who are maybe learning how to be run coaches right now. How do you personally, like, how do you triage when somebody needs to go see a medical professional and when do you know how to modify a program? And also that might be different for you who have, you have a lot more experience, but for newer people, how would that triage process look different? And when do you kind of refer them out to somebody for an injury? Sure. I mean, first of all, for new run coaches, get yourself a physical therapist and put them right in your back pocket and, and have it there <laughs> and have it there all the time on speed dial. All right. Um, it's when, when you had, when we had talked about some questions for this uh, a couple of weeks ago or whatever, and just, yeah. just, pre- just prepping for this, um, I ran some statistics from about the last three years uh, of our athlete base, whether they're currently here or not here, pass through, blah, blah, blah. Um, we're sitting at about 85, 88, 90% success of health rate here over the last three years. Wow. And the 10% are what we call, you know, the little niggles and, 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 you know, the strains and things like that. You guys see this all the time, you know, the post-tib stuff, the, the, the sciatica, the, the, the piriformis, the classic stuff. We've had one surgery in the last 12 years as well. Well, actually, sorry, That's- two, which was a minor heel insertion to, to uh, reduce the inflammation of some uh, plantar fasciitis. But other than that, the main reason all that happened, and I'm not trying to sit here and, and gloat on this, is because I've had a physical therapist in my back pocket for many mm-hmm. years. And so when something arises with a runner, immediately my gut, I've had to train it over the years to tell myself we have to go into shutdown mode. You know, um, I'll use Thomas from Believe in the Run as an example because he just had a hamstring issue a couple of weeks ago. It took him out for about a week. I just told him, listen, you got to shut this thing down. It needs complete rest. And now he's fine and he's going to go race a half next, next weekend in Texas. My gut back in the day would would have said, ah, well, we'll just monitor this, monitor this day by day and blah, blah, blah. Nope. Shut it down immediately. Prevent the dumpster fire from occurring later on, which is a torn hamstring and losing six months. He didn't need to go the PT route because my gut says, okay, turn this, turn this down right now. Let's drop, drop off a few days and blah, blah, blah. and, And he's all good. Other people, if you have the PT in your back pocket, um, we have Matt Penny here at Impert Run Coaching. He's the best PT in Boston, hands down. Um, the guy is absolutely mm-hmm. insane at, at what he does. He's the type of physical therapist that doesn't like to shut you down unless it's a major, major issue. So as you guys know, with the runner mind, being told to shut down is not healthy sometimes, especially if you're a newer runner. Um, so immediately just shifting these people off and, and getting them into the physical therapy from the get-go is great. Now with COVID, it's been phenomenal to have Matt in my back pocket because of telehealth appointments, which I'm sure you guys are probably even doing yeah. yourselves, right? So we could have an yeah. athlete in Wisconsin and Matt's in Boston 
but within a week we're set up with a whole thing and we're good to go. And Matt has a relationship with me that he knows to email me and give me a whole follow-up and diagnosis of everything going on and every visit, as I'm sure you guys do with, with people too. And so he's essentially a coach on staff. I don't pay him. I owe him about 17 steak dinners in Boston um, for all he does for us. <laughs> um, but, and I probably should um, follow through on that. But uh, at the end of the day, um, the relationship between PT and coach is, is, is critical. And I think you guys know this too. There's a lot of people who come in for PT and they have a horrible experience. Um, the right. PT doesn't understand the runner. The PT doesn't, maybe they're a triathlete. They, they don't even have any clue about what's going on in the muscle groups for the three different disciplines. So, you know, making sure that you have somebody in your back pocket is good. I mean, there's been a ton of times that an athlete has tried to handle something locally, but it just didn't work. So we had to send them and, 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 and let them do it, you know, through our, through our guy. So, yep. like I said, I mean, a PT is essentially just another coach here and we're always right. on the same page. There's right. slightly different variation. It's it's that, and that's that's really important. Again, the the most probably the most important part is that you are keeping the injury rate so low because, you know, from the evidence, right? No matter it doesn't matter what time it's been, no matter what new shoes, no tr training method, running injury rates have still been anywhere from like 30, 40 to ninety percent for the last I don't know how many years. They keep rechecking this and it's super high. So to keep that at you know ten percent, because there's always going to be these little like you said niggles and stuff like that here and there. Like that's normal, right? You're going to pick something up here. It's going to go away in a little bit. Keep calm. But I think one of the most important things, honestly, is even before a PT is doing what you do, which is having a good coach and talking about how can I help you train smart? How can I avoid overtraining? Because if the, that is one of the first conversations I have with patients um, that come to me is going, what's your training like? Because if you miss that, you're missing the source often of the problem, which can be what, what are they doing? And if you got to get a coach, Oftentimes they're not even going to get to that point, but education and communication and going, well, if you don't stop overtraining, I can, I can strengthen this hamstring all we want. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the reason it's getting overloaded is because you're doing more than your body can physically handle. Exactly. So it's, it, and again, yeah. the, the comment about like knowing a good medical practitioner, again, communication is, is key. Just like a coach, you need to work with somebody that speaks well with you and connects well with you because part of healing there's a very strong psychological component. If you're working with someone you don't like and you're not matching with, it will affect your rehab. So make sure you match up with somebody that you trust and you connect with. Mm -hmm. I, I'll get off my soapbox. I feel like I keep doing this. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's good because yeah. it's something we all can relate to yeah. and we all know about because we practice this every single day. But yeah, for the viewers and the listeners, it is very important to establish trust and to establish a connection with whoever your coach or your practitioner is. I can't tell you, I have a lot of ultra and trail runners out here in Santa Barbara. And every once in a while, like I had someone come in, like they were like, Oh, I'm trying to get ready for this 50 miler in like two months. And then I'm like, all right, like, let's talk about it. And we'll, we'll get, we'll get you there. You know? And they were like, they looked at me and they're like, you're the first person that told me like, that didn't tell me I was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and it's like, well, I mean, it could honestly be a realistic goal. Let's take a look and let's let's see what's what's up and let's go yeah. from there. And it doesn't have to be this like far fetched thing. Yeah. I think there's there's some there's so much wisdom to what you've said, Dave, so far about on this topic. And I think one of the things that um, one one area that you said is having a PT in your back pocket 
And I think sometimes when we're, when we silo ourselves too much um, into like our discipline, we create uh, unnecessary and like not even real competition with other professions. So like, sometimes you'll say, well, like, well, I'm, I'm the PT. So run coaches like stay, stay out of my zone or like run coaches are like, I'm the run coach PT stay out of my zone. But the way you use it and the way you've set it up is that you have a team that's working on this together. And that's for us, that's, that's what we think it should be too. And the other piece of wisdom you had too, is you have, if you're going to go find a PT, if you're a run coach looking for like a PT in your back pocket, you have to find the right PT because David just mentioned something too. There are going to be PTs that have no, no clue about running. Like it's, it's a, it's a niche practitioner area. Not every PT is, is versed in uh, specifically running or biking or um, swimming, like biomechanics, training, um, endurance sports. Like that's not everybody's specialty. And so it's so helpful if you're a run coach to find somebody who does that regularly, like that's their job. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you wouldn't go to your neurologist for an ACL reconstruction. Like you, you, you got to find the person who's in the niche. The same thing happens in physical therapy. You got to find the person who's in the run specialty. So if you're, if you're a coach looking for someone or looking for a PT, find somebody who does that. You should be able to find that through their bios or even just how their like their clinic should be set up in a way that's run specialty, or they have specific history of that shown somewhere else um, or, or training. But I just thought that was, that was huge too, to, to find the right, the right therapist um, because otherwise you might not get what you need. And like you said, David, you know, people being called crazy for wanting to run 50 miles or hundred miles or whatever. It's like, no, that's not crazy. People do that all the time. You just don't live in that world. So that's great. I thought those were awesome thoughts. Um, I was thinking too about the way that you recommend shutting things down, you know, early for a short, like, you know, a week's not that long. (laughs) It feels like forever when you're a runner, it's not that long, but we have uh, kind of one of the, models is called the envelope of function. So if you can keep the stress or a strain on a tissue within that, that envelope, you're going to be able to continue to train without overloading a tissue. Um, and that's one strategy to do that is to, to decrease that load and take it off for a little bit so that the process can just heal itself and collagen fibers and blah, blah, blah. But (laughs) this is a good transition. I'm going to ask, it's kind of a black and black and white question, but I know that it's a it depends on the person kind of answer. So just know that up front, but what are your thoughts on kind of optimal mileage, optimal training uh, for whatever that means, and then kind of tipping into overtraining kind of what mistakes do you see people make there? Sure. I mean, they tie in, they tie in beautifully together, man, like, like a fine wine and a ribeye. I mean, they, uh, (laughs) they they totally do. So, um, you know, when people ask, me, especially in the interview process, when somebody comes in, um, you know, for potential coaching, are you a high mileage coach? Are you a low mileage coach? No, I'm a you coach. So whatever you can handle and we can stay healthy at uh, is what we will do. Um, people fight me tooth and nail all the time when they come in here and they say, Dave, I'm running 45, 50 a week. And I start them at 25 or 30 a week. And I've had, I had a guy some well, early last year called me out for, he said that my six or eight weeks of training I wrote him was a Hanson's Brooks project uh, copy or something like that. 
And I said, well, dude, first of all, you've been here eight weeks. So scientifically, the adaptation hasn't even really begun yet, number one. But number two, um, number two, he wanted to run big mileage, big, big mileage. And that came into the overtraining piece. He wasn't taking days off. One of the key questions I ask people when they come in for coaching is when, when was your last break from running? Well, it was about three years ago. Well, to me, that's a red flag and, 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 and injuries are going to come because of that. Mm-hmm. So just because he wanted high mileage, I didn't feel he was ready for high mileage. So I'm not going to start him at high mileage or there's some who fr- frankly come in and, and they aren't running enough. And yeah, they, they need to run a little bit more. You know, the three day a weekers in order to be a better runner, you probably should be running five days a week. Eventually. Does it mean you shoot up to five immediately? No, you work your way nicely, nicely up there. So I've always thought that, I mean, years ago when I started coaching, I'd say I was higher, higher mileage. I ran 80, 85, 90 a week in high school. I, I was over a hundred in college, which that was a quite a short career due to social life. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, I see runners who come in and they've run 85 miles a week and they're a female distance runner and they're slamming workouts all week and they're slamming their, 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 their long runs and they can't break 320 in a marathon. But you drop them to 55, you give them one good quality session per week, plus some actual like smart pacing within a long run here and there and, 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 and some good aerobic mileage, right? More medium long runs, things like that. And, you know, they were 330 and they're 320 and then now they're running 254. And it's, this sport isn't tough to coach. It's, 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 it's learning, finding what is the optimal performance level for the athlete. You know, we hear this all the time in the sport, right? Like you should go into this workout with tired legs or you should race with tired legs. Well, first of all, we race with fresh legs, right? Like on goal day. So why do we want to train with tired legs the entire time? That makes no sense. And number two, um, at the end of the day, if the, if the runner, usually when a runner comes in for coaching and they talk about mileage too, the red flags immediately come out that they, they, they say it themselves. It comes out of their, their mouth. The reasons why they're not running well, I'm tired all the time. My legs are always shot. Well, that's because you're running too much mileage. So what is your wheelhouse? You know, it doesn't mean an athlete can't progress though, but you know, an athlete who might come in for coaching and be at 35, 40 miles a week, stick around with me for three years and they're running 70 a week now mm-hmm. because we've worked, you know, lightly into that process. Um, you know, same with optimal training. Everybody has different, different philosophies. You know, I'm pretty old school by just saying, you know, you can't skip the base phase. And in fact, if you think you're going to jump out of the base phase, probably extend it even longer. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> speed work, anaerobic work, things like that. Um, there's a time and the place for them, but should you be hammering a bunch of anaerobic 400s in February right now? Probably not in my mind, unless you have something coming up, Right. You know, the running year is long and we, I, I almost relate this back to like when I coached high school cross country or, or all of us competed right back in the day in, were we always in shape in August? Well, kind of, right. But the goal was to peak at the state championships or the federations or, or the, the league meet, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't to just plateau and, and burn out. So optimal training also means making sure that there's optimal times of year that an athlete needs to be at certain, at certain points and all that stems down to training the athlete at their current fitness level 
rather than what they think they need to do or what they used to do or anything like that. If they come in and they are a 330 marathoner, but they want to run 258, do we start training them at the paces to run 258? No, they won't hit them. We start them <laughs> at the paces that they have to train 330 at. So to answer your question, I mean, there's so many different methodologies. There's so many different, different, different forms of science in this sport. But again, this goes back to what we were talking about originally. It's blending your style of coaching and your style of philosophy to the physical science project, I call it, at hand. Mm -hmm. And that's fantastic. I think, uh, so I'm, I'm currently studying for a, an orthopedic specialization exam in physical therapy. And nice. um, a lot of the stuff that's, that's reality in especially low back pain is trying to find out yeah, it's it's uh, trying to find out which treatments are going to be the most beneficial for uh, which people who come through the door. And unfortunately, it's really hard to match the right treatments to the right people. Like, it's not just like, oh, if they have uh, this range of motion or this strength or this certain presentation, they're going to 100% benefit from this treatment. And so I think what, what what's happening in clinical practice is there's a lot of wisdom in uh, in expert opinion, people who have been able to see a lot more that may not have been studied yet, um, but who can, who can identify people who might benefit from certain things in conjunction with what's already been shown in the research. And that's what I see you doing with your run coaching, where you, 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 when you talk about optimal training, you say, whatever matches that person best. Now, is there a perfect formula for that? No, otherwise everyone would just do it. But it takes, it takes learning the athlete and, and, taking what you know about all these different philosophies and then diving them into the right, the right position with that athlete and learning as you accumulate data, which is probably, this is not this, this whole thing is not like a, um, an advertisement for your run coaching, but I think that's, that is what, that is what probably makes you a great run coach is that you do take in all of that information. You, you take people's time trials and you go over stuff with them the next week, because that's where you guys learn. And then you can re-implement new strategies and adapt things. And um, there's just a lot of value there. Yeah, I agree. I think having a mental drawing board where you're willing to assess, reassess, figure it out. Like, I think when you talk to anyone who's been in any business long enough, if they're, the only thing they're certain of is that there's a certain level of uncertainty and that they have to take a look at it and like, and really, and challenge it. Nothing is so simple that it's A equals you know, A plus B equals C. It's never that simple. Never. Ever. And so <laughs> it's like, that's just good to hear. Because it's like, if someone's like, it's, this is how you do it. This is how I do it. This is how we all, this is, this is how you get better. It's like, well, maybe not. Yep. And you see it all the time when someone switches a coach or something, and then they either plateau, they burn out, whatever. Maybe they accelerate, who knows? But it, I think it does take a lot of assessment, reassessment and integration of a bunch of different things, you know, just out in the world, whether it's yeah. philosophies or training practices or, you know, just ancillary work, you know, all kinds of things, you know, it's a giant jambalaya stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely, man. The uh, one other thing is jumping back to the, um, uh, the question about the meshing between PT and uh, run coaching, just speaking to people from a, and speaking to any PTs listening to, um, I would say that the same thing should be true for us as especially run physical therapists. And then if you're, if you're not in run, if you're not in running, you're not in run specialty when it comes to physical therapy, even more so, but um, <laughs> consult run coaches. <laughs> like we, we are not equipped through our training to be coaches in running. 
period. Um, yes, like we have a really great background in our mechanics and in our uh, in rehabilitation and injury and, and um, pathoanatomy and all of that stuff. And yes, if you go through the years of learning how to be a run coach, great, you can do that. But just being a physical therapist does not make you a run coach. And so do your due diligence and talk, especially if the person comes in with a run coach, talk with the run coach, for goodness sakes, like be, be on the same page as them. Um, that's my, that's my mini soapbox and encouragement to the PTs. I think that, that goes, also goes for, uh, that also goes for strength and conditioning coaches too. Yes. make sure you're on the same page with them. They're even more difficult to work with. Um, so I would say that, that goes for any profession, especially it does not matter what the degree is. Remember, so it doesn't matter how many degrees you have, what you have, it does not make you a run coach. So don't assume that you're going to go outside what you're realistically good at and start doing something which can probably cause a lot more problems. So know who's good at it and know that we can't all be good at everything. And so find yourself a good run coach. That's part of being able to find the team for a patient or for, uh, sorry, for a, for a runner. Um, it's, and we know this, right? We know that this is something, this is another soapbox that the United States really struggles with. Other countries are very good at team-based care, right? It's why outcomes can be a little bit better in other countries. But one thing the United States really needs to work, learn from, and we as clinicians, every, as run coaches, is that, again, it's team. Find your team because mm-hmm. then you're going to be able to really do what's best for that individual because that person, that runner is the key. Not exactly. you, not the other. It's it's that runner. It's all about them. And that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's very, very well said, Matt. Yeah, that's, you hit the nail on the head, man. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Totally. So um, I have one more question for you, but before we do that question, do you have anything else you want to share about, about your run coach business um, or about run coaching in general uh, before I ask my final questions? Um. No, man. The only other thing I wanted to say, you know, overtraining, you know, just blending that last part into yeah. what, into, into overtraining. I mean, it's the number one problem right now in today's runner. Um, I'll give you a few visual cues here. I, I, I prepared for this. There's too much of this. Oh, sweet. There's too much of that. There's too much of this. And there's too much of this. And there's too little of using this. And that is the problem with today's runner. We are in love, like a serious physical romance with our watch. Um, There is no reason we should be stressing about looking at our watch on an easy day. You know, we need to stay slow. We know that. Everyone knows that now. But, you know, you don't have to look at it every quarter of a mile on an easy day. Because if you start doing that, you're going to look at it all the time. And then the watch becomes your enemy. You know, we have a sports psychologist on staff, Adrienne Langelet. You guys probably know who she is. She works with us at Believe in the Run. And um, she's awesome. I coach her personally, too. And, and so, you know, we did a whole Zoom session with our athletes. We usually do monthly Zooms, which actually be a good to, thing to invite you guys on the next time we do them. Um, she, the whole thing was entitled to take the emotion out of your watch. Mm-hmm. And it was a massive success. It, it was great. People started to realize, oh my gosh, like I'm using this thing way, way, way too much. And when we use this too much, we start to overtrain and then we don't understand feel. So we start to get up, obsessed with, with pace versus effort level and things like that. You know, we send, you know, you send an athlete out to do five miles at threshold and they're staring at the watch the whole time versus actually sending them out for five miles, stare at the watch a few times and just think in your head, 85 to 88% effort. 
well, you know what? It's going to go a lot better when you're mentally just thinking effort, the, the actual put out of effort versus staring at this thing so much. So cross training is a massive problem right now. We have exercise addiction. Uh, it's, mm. it's, it's, uh, I'll say it and people can call it out, but it, it's out there. You know, mm-hmm. you have the athlete who in a seven day week, um, you know, they're supposed to have a, a Sunday and a Friday off. Maybe they run five days a week. They've done all their runs, their workouts. And then on those off days, they're hammering a hit class in Orange Theory. They're doing two spin bike, spin bike rides on Peloton. And while that stuff is okay, minus the hit in the Orange Theory, it just really doesn't help your marathon, but the spin a little bit. You look at the seven-day week and you realize there's not an ounce of rest going on during that week. And I think we all know rest equals growth, right? And so at the end of the day, that concept of I need to always be doing something leads to up here to the fact that you don't know how to rest. You don't know how to, you don't know how to take any time off. I think the comparison, the comparison game is massive right now, especially via social media with overtraining. Um, Oh, my friend was doing this and she ran really well. So I'm going to do this. And then six weeks later, that friend who copied the other friend now has an IT band syndrome or a stress fracture or something like that because they spiked their volume 40 or 50%, you know, yep. more than they can. Have. So there's a lot of issues when it comes over training. The number one thing I said this kind of earlier, when a new athlete comes in for coaching, I'm actually not adding mileage and workouts. I'm taking away things from them. You know, the old adage of the Tuesday workout, the Thursday workout and hammer the hell out of your long run will come back to bite you and, and it will get you hurt. Yeah. Um, even our fastest runners here, one, two workouts a week, maybe. Yeah. That's and, all. You know, I, other people I'm, need more, but, you know, it's, it's the way it is. I'm going to go make my Strava private so you can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I, what, I'm so glad you, uh, when you chose to share all that stuff too, because that, um, that's huge to hear for myself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even I feel like I'm not super addicted to the watch, but I know it's there. And, um, and I, I pay attention to it. And even if I'm not looking at it during the run, I'm definitely looking at it after yep. I'm like, Oh, that wasn't what I want. You know, Oh, it could have looked better. Like there, those little things can creep in and really cause problems. And, um, a lot of the injured runners that I end up seeing in my clinic are the ones who are addicted to exercise and have a routine of they they might come to PT working on something specific. They leave, they do a hit class, then they do their four mile run. And then they, they, they lead a spin class yep. and then they do the same thing the next day and they have no days off. And um, they're wondering why they have a bunch of injuries. And it's, it's a big, it's a big deal to, to pay attention to that and check ourselves as athletes and where we're at with all those things. So um, and, and as coaches thank you for bringing too, that up as coaches, remember coaches can overtrain too, not just runners, coaches can overtrain. I mean, you know, it, it, um, look at the success of some of the athletes. If their athletes are always broken, well, it's probably a sign. I mean, I think that's probably the worst thing that any of us wants to ever, you know, right. somebody <laughs> says, Oh, Hey, Hey, how about that? Dave Ames is a running coach. Well, oh, he injures everybody. Well, there goes my career. Yeah. Um, you know, so <laughs> you got to keep you healthy and on the road. Otherwise we can't be successful. Yeah. For, for those individuals, you by said- the way, and I, I, I want to jump on that, that I have several patients like that, 
that again, well, they'll they'll do their run, they'll do their spin or insane, but and they're not triathletes, right? If this is a different conversation, if they're a triathlete and they're going, hey, do my run, my bike, my swim, like I get it. But for those people who are doing it just because they're trying to hammer and catch up, your tissue doesn't care whether it was a spin class or a run. You're still overloading it. It's still like it doesn't matter. You don't get a magic like get out of jail free or like get an injury free card because you said. Well, it wasn't running. It's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, system, I've never, muscles, like, it's just, yeah. I've never done this and I don't ever choose to do this, but imagine going and running like a hard 18 and then going to a hit class. I mean, I mean, you'd have to mop me off of the floor. Like, yeah. <laughs> that would, it just wouldn't work. Oh, so. the other one that I hear a lot and I know that somebody's going to know I'm calling them out. If you go for a 13 mile run, and then you do an eight mile hike on top of that. That's not 13 miles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it's so good. You overload the tissue, right? So, so you, so you said, to, so for those who are just on podcast, you said too much of this, too much of this, too much of this. He pointed to his GPS watch. He had uh, a couple different shoes that he held up and not, not enough of this. But I do want to hear you talk about the, the shoes. Like you said, people care too much about the shoes. Just give your hot take on the shoe world. In, run, in runners, just kind of thinking about that too much. Yeah, no, I, I just, I think there's a time and a place, a time and a place for these fun shoes. Um, I think we have to, we have to remember that we shouldn't probably be running in a carbon plate every day. Um, I see this with my own running. I got a, recently, I, I just, I, I got a little, had a little too much fun in a lot of these new shoes, you know, obviously as you guys know, and, and what we all do in this room is we test shoes and we get a lot of shoes to test. Um, you start finding ones that are really, really nice and you wear more plate and more plate and more plate. And then, you know, next thing you know, I shredded off a calf, um, you know, and I missed 13, 13 days. And so, you know, you just, the, 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 the individual also needs to be biomechanically ready for the shoe, you know? Yeah. And so years ago, when I used to teach biomechanical, biomechanical clinics all over the, the running stores and, and all over the, the scene, um, you know, we weren't running in that type of stuff. That type of footwear wasn't there. And now, you know, if you put on a old school 4% tier or, or you put on a, uh, um, uh, 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 endorphin pro, you got to remember that you still have to focus on your form. That shoe's not going to do everything for you. You still got to lift those knees. You still got to drive those knees forward. You got to run tall. You got to lean forward a little bit to go faster not extend your stride, things like that. Um, certain shoes, if you can't get off your heel, that vapor fly or that, that alpha fly is probably not going to be the best option for you. Whereas actually there's maybe probably a couple of shoes that are a little bit down the line that aren't as aggressive, like an endorphin speed or something like that that you can actually kind of, uh, you know, almost graduate yourself into and then, and then work on a lot. I love it for the sport. I, I think it's great. I think, I think the shoe industry is keeping our, 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 our game hot. Um, but I also think that people are becoming lazy in the fact that they're not paying attention to what they need to be doing biomechanically. And, you know, I think Matt was touching on this earlier. I mean, the, the injury rates, the post tib rates that are coming out of Nike running shoes, I'm sorry. And nobody's really reporting on it. A lot of, a lot of people aren't, um, but they're there. I mean, do we want to yeah. talk about Camille Heron leaving Nike and going to Hoka and now she has a magical hip injury? Well, was it the Hokas? I don't know. 
you know? Um, I'm going to say it here. The Infinity React is not going to prevent you from injury if you're training like a moron. It's not. <laughs> and we can get into that later. The study, by the way, still has not been published. And if anybody wants to talk to me about the methods of that, it makes like me want to vomit. So <laughs> this no is Matt. One of Matt's like, doing. don't get him started. Yeah. No. Uh, any of you guys like that shoe? Did you guys like that shoe? Yeah. I didn't run in it. Yeah, Matt's the only one who's ran into them of all of us. Run so. in, I've run in both. The second, the first one I bought, the second one I returned. I was like, I'm not going to review this. Just, yeah, and, so and we, that's the and that's no the thing. Offense, anybody likes it, that's fine, right? So that's the thing. People need to understand that those studies weren't necessarily done on the people they think they were actually done on. You know, and will Nike tell you that? No. Was the no. methods were the methods good? No. Yeah. But Dave, I appreciate you bringing up the shoe stuff because I think what people are getting caught up in is they think these shoes are magic and they're not. Even this, even the Vaporfly 4%, the reason it's called 4% is that was the average yep. economy improvement. Economy does not always equal performance yep. because there were people that had a decrease in performance by 10 plus percent. So just because a company markets it doesn't mean it's going to be appropriate for you it doesn't also excuse you from training like an idiot, right? Because <laughs> these shoes don't make you magic. They just change forces and those forces have to go somewhere. When the 4% came out for the, when initially I was doing my residency at Costa Clean we have a huge sports medicine clinic and we have a huge population of older people that have a lot of money that went, oh, look at this shoe. And all of a sudden they come up with hamstring injuries, calf tears, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, what, what did you change? Oh, you started running full-time in the shoe. We have no evidence about what these shoes fully do to us yet, right? We, we know what happens if you run in really stiff shoes. It changes loads and can put it in areas that may not be ready for it, which is yep. no different than overtraining. But these are not magic, and they will not prevent injuries. So if you, it does not excuse you from doing dumb things. Well, exactly. And, you know, say you have a, you know, 11 mile medium long run on your schedule, right? And coach or, or the training plan you're following says today is easy. And, you know, you slap on one of these beauties and next thing you know, you're looking down and you're cruising six tens and you normally train, you know, say at seven flat or seven thirty, And next thing you know, you just entered the threshold realm for 10 miles. And while it felt as smooth as like a baby's butt, right? Yep. You may hinder some consequences down the road as to maybe screwing up the key long run you have two days later or a race or something like that. Or like, like Matt just said too, you know, shredding out a hamstring. Um, listen, super shoes and cold weather, they don't mix either. So, you know, putting on an endorphin pro when it's 11 degrees to go run a 5k, not going to feel so hot. Or negative 20, like it's been here in the last couple of weeks. That's, that's the key to remember that you also have to be, and Dave, I love that you said, again, that you probably shouldn't be using these all the times. And if you're going to use them, you do have to ease into this stuff because it's a new stimulus. It'd be like going, hey, you know, I'm training for 5K, but I just decided to do a 28-mile long run just because. Or it's yeah. like, no, you don't do that, right? If you want, If that's your goal, work into that, right? Talk to your coach about that. But it's a very new thing, and it can any new thing that comes on too fast, too much. And uh, and unfortunately, sometimes these athletes they just have to learn the hard way with it. Um, mm -hmm. You guys all remember the old school Newton Distance Three? I mean, the thing was beautiful. It was so fast. Um, you know, I did what did it, I think it measured at a negative three drop or something. You know, the first the first time yeah. the first time that I slapped that thing on, I was living in St. Louis, 
And, you know, I threw that thing on and I hammered out a 10 miler and it was probably, you know, I wasn't fit, fit, but I was fit enough. And it was probably one of the best 10 milers I've run in the last 15 years. Well, you know, <laughs> two days after that, I'm out on easy, out on an easy run and I shred the crap out of my soleus. And, you know, well, you know, that was my fault. Yeah. Um, and I you, learned you the hard way. You, yeah. you earned it, right? That's how it <laughs> exactly. You earned it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, when I slap those things on to this day, oh yeah. Um, but I'm not going to go hammer time in it. Right. And, and just to put it in another context, it doesn't even need to be that much. So right now I just, on Saturday, this was a couple days ago, yesterday, this is, wow, this is yesterday. Um, I, we're, we're testing some prototypes for a company. Won't say any more than that, but, uh, I, it was a total of six miles. I'd test four different shoes. And by the time I got to the last one, I got a strain in my soleus too. And it's just a totally different, I mean, the shoe is unique, very different. And uh, it doesn't take very long is my point. So it, it doesn't need to be a, a big stimulus. It could be short, it could be a mile and a half, three miles, um, and it can be enough. So just ca- caution is always good. That's it's right. not too bad. It's not that these shoes are right. bad, it's just like anything new. It's like when we had the whole, the barefoot craze that went around that was, that hit us really hard. It's the same thing. If that's something you want to do, walk around them first, get used to it, slowly ease into it. Yeah. Then we can then talk to your coach and then talk about, Hey, is this something that might be appropriate for you? Yep. Not everybody works well with these shoes. There's plenty of people that are going to run much faster in other footwear. So don't get caught up in the marketing. So, uh, this transitioned us to our my final question for you, Dave. Um, and it's because people really only care about shoes anyway, since we're talking about it. That's why people come and listen sure. to this stuff. So the, the question is, what's what's been your number one shoe in the last, I'm not, not a hard thing, the last like one to two years, the, your favorite shoe that's come out um, for you personally? Well, I mean, obviously like doing a lot of work with Kurt and stuff at Sketches. I mean, the Razor's always been, a, you know, I, I help wear test and develop that thing from the get-go there it is (laughs) um another great shoe right there that matt's holding um you know i I think i honestly like this this new atreyu stuff man i've really gotten to know michael really well i'm gonna kick it with him in texas next week from atreyu Mm. um i you know the base model is phenomenal it just it's one of those shoes that you throw on and you don't pay attention to anything you just go out and run an easy 11 and you enjoy the beauty of running it's simple you're not paying attention to what the hell's on your feet did i lace this properly is this plate matched up properly uh is it rolling you know from uh heel to mid load to to forefoot smoothly you know you're not thinking about that stuff um and then obviously the artist you know i had the prototype i had uh, which is releasing i believe what late march here the, proto- the, the prototypes I've helped him with uh, on the Marathon Racer is just just a beautiful shoe there too. Um, Endorphin Speed by Saucony, just just great. Um, you know that that's been solid. Um, and then lately, I mean, just had a great run in it this morning. The New Balance Rebel V2. I think that drops in what April or something. Um, man, that's a beauty too. Um, cool. So there's some good stuff out there, you know for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking so much time on a Sunday to sure, come and talk about all this stuff. I think, I think that you just dropped a lot of wisdom to um, aspiring run coaches and to people looking for run coaches. Um, I, I think uh, <laughs> I texted you this the other day, but it's like, yeah, when I, when I get back to my next marathon, maybe when my kids are a little bit older and uh, there's more time available for that stuff, I'm going to just, I'm going to come to you for coaching. So that'll be really fun. Just but, make, sure you get, um, make sure you get through the interview process, all right? 
Yeah, yeah I got to work Never out. <laughs> I, might turn you down. Who knows? Darn it. Um, <laughs> overtraining. Okay. Yeah, overtraining, no. red, fla- red flags. Look out. I've got... I've got years to, to prep for this interview, so I'll, I'll, be, I'll get ready. But um, yeah, if you want to check out more of Dave's stuff, it's, I believe it's aimforitruncoaching.com, um, A-M-E, aim for it, run coaching. Uh, and you should check it out. And then obviously he's writing stuff for Believe in the Run, so if you follow them, you'll be able to see some of his analysis and some of the footwear coming out. Um, and then on our end, if you want to check out more of the stuff that we're doing, we have our YouTube channel up and running, uh, that we've been doing over the last year and, uh, also Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, Bach has been, Bach is our media guy. He's been just throwing it everywhere, doing a lot more for us than we could do for ourselves. So it's been super fun. Um, but, uh, holler at us, ask us any questions you have. We'll, if they're for Dave specifically, we can relay them over to him. And, um, but again, Dave, we just appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I mean, I'm surprised we haven't even met, you know, this all this COVID stuff here. But um, anybody, nobody's going to Texas next week, are you? Anybody going to the Woodlands? Unfortunately no? not. Oh. I remember we were almost potentially going to meet because I was thinking of doing Long Beach yep. uh, half marathon. I think I remember messaging you about that like way yep. back when. I, and then I was like, oh, but then COVID happened and yeah, then everything. Yeah, it's, 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 it's rough, man. But I just yeah. want to say that you, you guys do a great job. I mean, for anybody listening and, or watching this, I want you to know that like the, the beauty of the running industry, just, you know, I work for believe in the run. These guys are the doctors are running. You know, you got Sam with road trail run. You get all, everybody knows everybody, everybody blends in. I believe you guys have talked to Thomas on this, right? Um, you know, so it's a pleasure. Yeah. That's the beauty yeah. of this. And, and if we can keep on, you know, having quality people like, like the three of you guys, um, you know, doing this stuff and what we do at believe in the run and what Sam does, you know, we're just here to give good knowledge. So, um, so yeah, it's a pleasure to be on and mm-hmm. um, keep doing what you guys do, man. I, I really like it. I like it a lot. Thank you. Appreciate that. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. All right. All right. Catch y'all next time. Okay. Thanks guys. Bye.